Now, the word glory refers to the full manifestation of the nature and character of Jesus, the Son of God. So John is about to show us his glory through these signs and miracles. And these signs and miracles point to the nature and character of this one Jesus who is God's son. So he chooses these seven signs in order to reveal the glory of Jesus so that we might believe that he is the son of God, the Messiah, the one sent, so that believing in him we might have life in his name. Last week we studied the healing, uh, really the turning of the water into wine. And this week we want to look at the story of the healing of the nobleman's son. The question is, what is this sign pointing to? If a sign points to something, what is it pointing to? John is making quite a simple statement here. He is saying, in effect, signs were designed to point us to the sign giver. Signs were intended to point us to the sign giver. They were never intended to be an end in themselves. And that's his theme in this particular uh, story before us this morning. Let me illustrate it in this way. My grandfather on my, one, my father's side immigrated from Liverpool to Canada from England when my father was still in preschool. When I was doing some ancestral research, I located the steamship that they sailed across from England to, uh, to America and to Canada and to uh, Montreal. And when I looked at the manifesto, I found the names of my family and my father on that manifesto. They eventually came across the country and settled in Vancouver and eventually settled in the Crescent Beach area. As a young family, uh, they grew up there. My dad grew up in Crescent Beach. He had freedom to run the, the beach there. And when he started a family of his own, he wanted to take his boys and his wife to Crescent Beach. And so every summer, we would rent a little cottage on the beach. We should have bought it then. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we then had freedom to roam the Crescent Beach area, hemmed in by the uh, railway on one side and the ocean on the other. Beautiful place with the smell of uh, fish and chips wafting across the, the beach at that time. Wonderful time. And we had a great time there. Uh, we especially had a great time because my dad's sister, Aunt Doreen, lived there with her husband, Tom. And she was an unusual lady, Aunt Doreen. She nursed her aging parents in their own home until they died. And as a result, she postponed marriage until she was in her mid-40s. And so she had no children of her own, and she loved to have us around. And she married Tom, the love of her life, once her parents had passed away. And Tom was a rugged outdoorsman kind of a person, and so we loved to hang out with him. With my two brothers, we liked to go fishing and clamming and crabbing with him. And then we would return to their small cottage and enjoy a seafood feast. It was wonderful. And so those were great memories for us as kids growing up. 
And so when we uh, had kids of our own and we moved to Calgary, one summer we decided to go back to Crescent Beach and I would just drive around and show them all of sort of the, the highlights of our days there and my days and the memories that went there. And as we drove through the area, to my surprise, we came across a road sign bearing our family name. It was Bar Lane. And I said, wow. And then I thought to myself, I, I wouldn't mind having that sign so I could, <laughs> so I could uh, pin it to my family room wall. It would make a great conversational piece. And then I had a wonderful idea, an awful wonderful idea. <laughs> I said to myself, Maybe I could get one of my brothers, or maybe both, on a foggy evening with a stepladder, we could climb up and unscrew that sign from its post, and I could take it home. Great idea? Not a great idea. Then I had another vision of a police car coming by and me standing on top of the stepladder. And the sign in the local gazette, Calgary Pastor. <laughs> But you see, I missed the whole point of that sign. The sign was not an end in itself. That sign was designed to point to my family whose membership had made a profound impact upon the Crescent Beach community. And so when the penny finally uh, dropped, I went online and I looked up the bar name and sure enough, in the uh, Chronicles of uh, Surrey, uh, there was a list of my relatives who had made a profound and rich contribution to the life of the Crescent Beach area. And that sign was pointing to them. It was not an end in themselves. You see, we're now able to look at what this scripture is telling us. Let me unpack it for you. In the previous chapter, Jesus and his disciples were traveling through Samaria. Samaria was a place most Jewish people avoided going into. There was great hostility between Jews and Samaritans that had lasted for centuries. As a Jew, you always needed to be looking over your shoulder when you were traveling through Samaria. It was a dangerous place to go through. So it's with relief when the Jesus and his disciples finally enter into Galilee where Jesus and most of his disciples grew up. They were home. They could relax. They were glad to be in Galilee. They were home. And when Jesus arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. Some of them had been in Jerusalem earlier for the Passover, and they had witnessed firsthand many of the miraculous signs that Jesus had performed. And so their initial skepticism about this hometown boy who grew up in the tiny village of Nazareth had been put on hold. They now welcomed him warmly. He had a reputation for being a kind of miracle worker. Look, they said, here is the miracle man. He's come back home. And once again, he visited this small village of Cana where he had performed his first miracle of turning water into wine. And a crowd had gathered around him. They gathered around in anticipation. They wanted to see what he would do next. They wanted to see the next miracle that he would perform. 
Now there was a certain nobleman who lived in Capernaum on the shores of the Lake of Galilee, and his son was deathly ill. So when he heard that the miracle man had arrived in the town of Cana, he set off to find him. Capernaum was 20 miles from Cana, about an eight-hour fast walk, all uphill because Cana was located in the hill country of Galilee. Please come with me and heal my son, pleaded the nobleman. And notice Jesus' response. You people will never believe unless you see signs and wonders. Now I want to pause just for a moment and think. I want you to try to put yourself in this story. You have this royal official. We don't know whether he was a Jew employed by King Herod or if he was a Gentile employed by the hated Roman government. But we do know that he was absolutely desperate. Jesus was his last resort. His son was dying, and he was willing to do anything he could to get help for his son. Similar, I suppose, to the terminally ill cancer patient who was willing to travel to Mexico to get expensive experimental cancer treatment when every hope has run out here in Canada. And here is Jesus, the reputed miracle worker, who is now residing in Cana. What would you do? He was frantic, desperate. He's out of breath. There are tears in his eyes. He pleads with Jesus, please come now. There isn't a moment to waste. But Jesus seems deaf to his frantic pleas. He looks up and he sees the man surrounded by a large crowd of curious spectators. Ignoring the man, he says to the crowd, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, I don't know about you, but when I put myself in the story, I think I would have been a little frustrated, impatient, angry, and ticked off with Jesus. He's desperate. He's beside himself. His son is dying. He's come a long way. This is not the time for a theological discussion on the merits of signs and wonders. My son is on his deathbed. Every moment is critical. Even if we leave right now, it will be morning before we can get to his side. Any delay could be critical and could be fatal. A couple of years ago, Marlene and I had our 50th anniversary in Calgary, and it had been a long stretch of activity and We'd spent some time in Europe celebrating that, and we were tired. And so we were just outside of Banff when Marlene started to develop some symptoms that were very alarming. One, she, her blood pressure scored to two, uh, soared to 220. Uh, she began to speak erratically. I pulled over to the side of the road, gave her a couple of aspirins, and headed to the nearest hospital in that area, which was Golden. And by the time we got there, we were exhausted. We had our granddaughter with us, one of our granddaughters, and she was praying for her. And uh, when we came into Golden, uh, you know the routine. Go into the emergency area, and you first of all, you have to give, go before a receptionist, and the questions are, you know the drill, take a seat. We need to get some information from you first. Have you got your health care card with you? Uh, where do you live? Is this your family doctor? How long has your wife been having these symptoms? 
And I wanted to say, hey, let's just stop. Stop, stop. My wife is probably having a stroke. And she was. And she needs to see a doctor immediately. So we have this story before us. This man who is desperate to get help from Jesus. Jesus saying, listen, you people only are interested in me because you have seen signs and wonders. And he's saying, let's get on with it. Help me and help me now. Jesus knew the heart of the people surrounding him. He knew that the majority of those around him saw him only as a miracle worker. But Jesus wanted people to seek him for who he was and not for what he could do. But the people just wanted miracles. The question is, what about us? Why do we seek Jesus? What do we want from him? What's our motivation for deciding to become a follower of Jesus? How do we expect Jesus to behave when we have trouble and are in need? And how do we respond when he doesn't live up to our expectations? The signs, you see, are meant to lead us to the sign giver. Unfortunately, they often become an end in themselves. This takes me back to my original story about the street sign I found in White Rock. I wanted the sign as a conversational piece. Something I could hang on my family wall, room wall in Calgary. Initially, I wasn't interested in discovering the reason why it had been put there at all. I saw it simply as an end in itself. You see, the signs which Jesus performed were just part of the story. They were never intended to be the whole story. So here is where the tension really gets wrapped up in the story. Was this man wrong in asking Jesus to heal his son? We might reason this man asks and pleads for help and Jesus rebukes the crowd for their preoccupation with signs and wonders. Therefore, should we not ask God for anything? Is it wrong to ask for God to intervene in our lives? Some make that conclusion, but I don't think that's the right conclusion. In the scriptures, there are dozens of incidents where people are asking God for divine assistance, for healing, for wisdom, for direction, for protection, for discernment, and for guidance. And as a good and loving father, he is concerned with the smallest details of our lives. Over and over again in the scriptures, God heals and responds to the petitions of his children. And apparently he delights to do so. In James' letter to the Hebrew Christians, he says, You have not because you ask not. Jesus himself said, Ask and you shall receive. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. Seek and you shall find. If a son asks of his father a stone or a, a, a piece of bread, will he give him a stone? And Jesus' answer is, of course not. God delights to hear our prayers. God delights to respond to our petitions and requests for help and assistance, discernment and healing. 
Our relationship with God is strengthened through giving and receiving. Any relationship is. We ask and we receive. And in asking and receiving, that relationship is strengthened. So our relationship with God is also strengthened through asking and receiving. So Jesus is not saying we shouldn't ask for help. So what's going on here in this passage of scripture? Jesus is simply reminding us that asking and receiving are not to be the totality of our relationship with him. Think of your prayers for a moment. Asking and receiving are not to be the totality of our relationship with God. A relationship with God solely based on asking and receiving is superficial and that the end will wane and eventually disappoint. When Jesus fails to deliver the way we demand, we become disillusioned and we move on. But let's be honest. In a consumer, materialistic oriented society like ours, it is so easy to fall into the trap of seeing Jesus as the miracle man to help us in our pursuit of the good life. In fact, we often market Jesus as someone who wants, to be, wants us to be successful and healthy and wealthy. But here's the big lie. Physical fitness, good looks, fame, sex, money, cars, material success, a summer cabin in the lakes, by the lakeside are not in themselves bad things. But they do not satisfy the deepest longings of the human heart. Recently, I have been struck by the number of young and wealthy celebrities who have either become hooked on drugs or who have decided to take their own lives because life is meaningless. Why? Because stuff and fame and success cannot fulfill the emptiness within the human heart. Tom Brady of the New England Patriots is one of the most successful persons in America. Before the age of 30, he had won three Super Bowl rings. He set a record for the most touchdowns in a regular season, and he won the most valuable player award. He had it all, good looks, fame, and fortune. But in interview on 60 Minutes, he still thinks there is something more out there to life. This is what he said. I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it's all about. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think there's got to be something more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be all that it's cracked up to be. The theologian S. Uh, St. Augustine, who lived in the uh, 1700 years ago, said it very well. We were made for God, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. You see, we were wired to know and love a person, and that person is God. Any other purpose falls short for our restless hearts. It is said in the Bible, be still and know that I am God. The signs, the miracles recorded by John are not an end in themselves. They are designed to lead us to the sign giver, to lead us to Jesus. Let me try to illustrate it in this way. As a parent, we don't want our children to love us simply because of what we do for them. We want them to love us for who we are. 
for the fact that we gave them life, for the common experiences that we have shared together as parents and children, for our capacity to love and to care for them even when they totally mess up, and they do, and for the enjoyment of just hanging out together. In fact, in a healthy family, children continue to love and trust their mom and dad even when they are disciplined and when their parents refuse to give them what they think they need. They trust that their parents know best. And they demonstrate that trust and love by how they live. They are careful not to do anything which will dishonor their parents' name. Unfortunately, however, in this story, most of the people in the crowd didn't care at all about a relationship with Jesus. They were only interested in what they could get out of him. And when they couldn't get anything more out of him, and we didn't live up to their expectations, they put him to death. They were only interested in what he could do for them. And here is a really sad thing. If this is the only thing that matters to us, then our faith will be shallow and fragile. Our relationship with God will be dependent on the next miracle. And the moment God stops meeting our demands and expectations, we'll stop following him. And so this story and miracle is about seeking the sign giver and not the signs. There are three small lessons that we can learn from this. First of all, the miracles are designed to lead us to God, to lead us to Jesus. The most precious gift that Jesus gives us is himself. And in the fellowship of his presence, we find our true identity. Three things. The miracles are designed to lead us to Jesus, the most precious gift that Jesus gives us himself, and in the fellowship of his presence, we find our true identity. When you brought it down, biblical faith is about commitment to a person. It's about loving God with all our heart and with all our life force and with all our strength and with all our mind and our neighbor as ourselves. In practical terms, it means reordering our lives around his will and purpose for our lives. It means practicing the disciplines of worship and praise and gratitude, meditation, giving, and a life of compassion and justice. To believe in Jesus is about gratitude, about quietude, and the joy of lingering in his presence. It's about taking the time to hang out with the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus called this man to trust him. In the end, Jesus did heal the nobleman's son. He said to him, when he had finished his conversation with the crowd, go, he said, your son will live. And Jesus is simply saying, please trust me. And there was something in his voice, his attitude, his eyes, which gave this man the confidence that he could believe him and trust him. And so he didn't ask him to go with him. He simply headed towards home. It says, he believed. 
And as he neared home, his servants rushed out to tell him his son was up and running about. And notice the man's response. He and his whole household committed themselves to become followers of Jesus, the sign giver. The miracle led them to commitment. Jesus, the sign giver, is the treasure we sell everything to possess. And like on all important relationships, it does demand nurture. The Westminster Catechism asks, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And my prayer for you and for me is this, that we might glorify God by the way we live and enjoy him forever. He is our greatest treasure. Amen? He is our greatest treasure. And part of the benefits of following him is to see the signs and wonders that he does in response to our prayers, for which we are grateful. But when heaven is silent, we still trust in him. May God bless you. Amen.